You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 this morning. As you're turning there, have you ever received a gift at Christmas uh, that you would consider to be a life-changing gift? Just a totally life-changing gift. I don't know if maybe uh, any of you women have, have gotten engaged at Christmas and maybe you received a, an engagement ring. I would consider that maybe a, a life-changing gift. Um, uh, maybe you, you received a gadget and, and while it wasn't like, like mind-altering, mind-blowing, it, it's still like it changed the quality of your life uh, from that point forward. How many of you, maybe, maybe you haven't received a life-changing gift, how many of you have ever thought you were going to receive a life-changing gift and that gift turned out to over-promise and under-deliver? Um, this is one of those for me. Uh, this right here uh, is called the Beard Cape. It's, uh, I'm not going to talk about the brand because uh, I'm kind of dissing it. So... Um, you know, this is supposed to go around your neck like this, kind of like you were at the barber shop, right? But then, uh, you know, there's supposed to be suction cups that go on the mirror. And, and, and so as you, uh, you know, you shave, uh, it, it's supposed to catch all of the, uh, the, the shavings. And, and that is very important when your wife really wants for you to, uh, you know, not leave the bathroom a mess. And, and, and that sounds really life-changing. Like some of you are like, I need to get one of those. Some of you wives, no, it's not as good as it seems. Because here's the deal. There's still beard clippings in the thing that you've got to do something with. And it seems as simple as going over to the trash can and just emptying it out. But it's not that simple because the little hairs, they just go everywhere. And so it uh, turns out that this thing is totally uh, over-promised under-delivered. It was supposed to be life-changing to our marriage. Uh, we're still looking for that thing. Um, so listen, listen. Over the next three weeks, we get to uh, study something, a gift that is truly, truly life-changing. It is impossible to over-promise and under-deliver on this particular gift. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our study in the book of Luke uh, by December 23rd. And so this is sort of like uh, Easter at Christmas. Because we're, we're in this section of Luke that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be studying that right up to uh, the day bef- two days before Christmas. And what um, we're calling this section, Follow Closely in Christ's New Life. Jesus wants, us to, wants to give us the gift of new life. Through his resurrection. Follow closely in Christ's new life. And today we want to see that the new life of Jesus is life changing. The new life of Jesus is life changing. And maybe you're like, uh, yeah, thanks for stating the obvious on that one. Like it's new life, therefore it's life changing. And, and that might seem obvious to, to some of you, but I think to many people, uh, it, it's not so obvious. I think a lot of people think that they have new life in Jesus, but they don't act like the new life that Jesus brings actually changes anything. 
And so they, they go about their days allowing the same attitudes to rule their hearts as they always did. And they, they go about their activities as if nothing is different if Jesus rose from the dead or if He did not. Jesus doesn't just want to tweak your life. He wants to totally transform your life. And He defeated the power of sin and He changed the course of death to do it. And so, here's the big idea that we're going after today. It's nothing short of this. Experience the life change that comes through Christ's resurrection. Experience the life change that comes through Christ's resurrection. Did you come to church today expecting to have your life changed? You should. Like every week, we open God's Word and He speaks to us and He wants to change us by the power of His resurrection from one level of glory to another. Some people from complete unbelief to belief. I'm praying that that would happen today at the hearing of God's Word. Experience the life change that comes through Christ's resurrection. That's a big promise. Do you think that it can deliver? Read with me in Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that's the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, To them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told all these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Experience the life change that comes through Christ's resurrection. That's what we're going after today. Uh, I see three life-changing experiences that come through the resurrection. The first is this. uh, The resurrection brings clarity to your confusion. The resurrection brings clarity to your confusion. I I want you to, to be there with these women this morning. I want you to see what they saw. I want you to, to feel what they felt. We're picking up this, this, this new section, and, and to us it's a new section, but, but to Luke, he, he uses this word but at the beginning of chapter 24, verse 1. 
Uh, that, that's a, setting up a contrast in the text, but it's really just kind of continuing the thought from what had happened. He doesn't even mention that it was the women, because this is all just like one thought for him. What happened Friday night and what is happening Sunday morning, it's just a continuation of thought. And so he wants us to be immersed in their experience. This moment is set in contrast to the excruciating sadness and deep darkness that haunted their last four days. And so go back with me to Thursday. Jesus had had a, a final meal with His twelve disciples. And the women, of course, would have heard about that final meal and how at that meal uh, Jesus had told His disciples that one of their closest would betray Him. That one of their own would, would hand Him over to the authorities. And then he led them out into a garden and they actually watched that betrayal play out. And as they did, uh, Peter would, would, would follow along, but he would deny, verbally deny Jesus three times. And as Peter denied him, all the rest would scatter as well. And then they would watch their Savior from a distance being mocked and accused and beaten shamed, and ultimately crucified. That was Friday. And all the while, again, Luke tells us that the disciples were standing at a distance. That's where the the rest of the eleven were. They were standing at a distance, and then along with the women. But then the women, they get bold. And they go along with Joseph of Arimathea, who was a Jewish religious leader uh, who was a secret follower of Jesus, and they, they go to uh, do an initial preparation of the body. This isn't even all that they want to do, but the day is drawing to an end, and Sabbath is coming, and so they got to just get in what they can. And so they go, and they see the tomb with their own eyes. And they touch the body with their own hands. And they realize that He is really Dead. And then there's Saturday. The day of Sabbath. The day of rest. But really, was it a day of rest? I find it interesting that, that, that Luke 23.56 tells us that they rested according to the commandment. According to the commandment. They went through the motions of it. They, they did what was, what was right according to the law. Because, of course, they were still under the law, right? They were still bound by that law. But I'm sure that that day was marked with confusion and uncertainty. And perhaps they were a little bit on edge. Like Judas had just betrayed Jesus. Like, like are they looking around at each other a little bit suspiciously that day? Or are they wondering, like, how could we have let this happen? How didn't we see it? And so that's where we come in in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 24, Sunday morning. Uh, these women who had followed Jesus for so long walked to the tomb. They have their burial spices in hand. They are totally not expecting to find new life here. But, but actually, they're expecting to find confirmation that the one to whom they gave their lives was dead. Which is really tragic when you consider uh, who these women were. Uh, verse 10 tells us who these women were, but I want to remind you of this uh, right from the beginning. Uh, Luke tells us in verse 10 that it's, it's Mary Magdalene, right? 
And he actually mentioned all of, all of these women except for the second Mary. He mentioned them back in Luke chapter 8. And uh, Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, he tells us at one point had seven demons that had possessed her. And, and, and then she met Jesus. Then she met Jesus. And he totally changed her life. Like, would you say that's pretty life-changing to have seven demons cast out of you? And then there's Johanna. She's, she's the wife of Herod's household manager. And, uh, and Herod was a very rich man, so she lived in a palace. She, she gave up a, a very wealthy, very secure life, uh, being the wife of, uh, of one of the top servants in Herod's palace. Uh, but at the same time, she, Herod was also a very evil and dangerous man. And so she would have witnessed some great horrors, perhaps even the beheading of John the Baptist himself, she would have seen and been at that party. And so she was delivered from all of that. And then there's Mary, the mother of James. And in in chapter 8, Luke doesn't mention her, but he does mention other women who provided for Jesus out of their means. They were wealthy, they were well off, and they took care of Jesus, they took care of his disciples, and they provided for his basic needs. And I just imagine Mary as one of those women who had likely invested a lot of money because she believed in who Jesus said he was. And then Luke says that there's still others, at least two other people. We don't know. It could be even more. Uh, Probably the same women who, back in chapter 8, he said had been healed of of diseases and infirmities. Their lives had been changed. They had left everything to follow Jesus for at least two years. Because he seemed to be a life-changing man. And now he was dead. What it seemed to be a life-changing gift of following after Jesus looks as if, at this point, like it's over-promised and under-delivered. And today they, they go to a tomb that they had just seen less than 36 hours earlier, and it says that they found the tomb, and they found the stone that was there, but, but the stone is rolled away, and they look inside, and they do not find... The body of Jesus. Which just adds to all of this confusion that that I was just describing to you. That they know where they left Him. He was just there two days ago. But He's not there now. Verse 4, the the word that's used for perplexed, uh, says that it means that they searched for an explanation and they just came up empty-handed. They're like, I got nothing. there's no logical explanation for what I am seeing with their eyes. They don't even know where to go for the answers. And I just wonder if there's anyone here this morning who can relate to these women. Have you ever been totally confused by what God is doing in your life? Katie and I are coming up on an eight-year mark of a time of of, of great confusion in our lives. We, uh, we didn't have any children. We had been married for three years, and, uh, and we were seeking to have some children, and, and, and we were pregnant. And uh, we were pregnant for ten weeks, and we were excited about that. And we began telling people, and we were 
Uh, we were so looking forward to uh, God and, and how he was working in our lives. And this is honestly like right in line with our timeline for our lives, right in line with like what we thought was best and what, what we had uh, under control. And, and then uh, we were on our way to a, a, a New Year's Eve party. It was New Year's Eve. And uh, we, uh, we were on our way and Katie's like, you know what, I think we should just stop at the hospital real quick just to check some things out. I just... Some things don't seem right, and uh, and so we stopped. We we honestly thought like it would just alleviate her conscience, and uh, and we would get on to the party, and we'd have a great old time. And then we sat there for three hours, while the doctor handled another emergency, and then came in and told us that we had lost our our baby. And one of the things that we learned through that season is that sometimes God wants to use our confusion to show us that He is in control of life and death. He's in control of life and death. And that's what God's about to do for these women in verse 5. God is going to bring clarity into their confusion through the good news of the resurrection. He's going to show them that He is in control of death and life. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Okay, so that's just going to add to your perplexity because now there's men in front of you who who are are dazzling. The word is used for lightning. They have like lightning in their clothing. Crazy. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, again, they're just confused. They're they're frightened. They don't know what to do with all of this. Uh, The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now, that is an explanation that they can't even begin to fathom on their own. They can't even wrap their minds around this. That isn't something that entered into their confused minds of all the things that were running through their minds that day. That explanation hadn't even crossed their radar. And even though they had heard Jesus tell them exactly what was going to happen many times before, they had been spiritually deaf to his words, and it had left them in utter confusion. Without understanding the promise of Jesus, we're in confusion. The the root of our confusion is not truly hearing with spiritual ears the words of Christ. Look at what the angelic messengers say that, that, that brings clarity to their confusion. They simply remind them of the gospel truth that Jesus had already proclaimed. Look at verse 6 again. It says, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. These angels remind them of Jesus' favorite title that he used for himself, Son of Man. It was this beautiful promise to his disciples, uh, 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 reminding them of the book of Daniel and and how uh, this one was promised who would be exalted to the right hand of God and who would sit on the throne. 
and they give, be given great dominion. And then the messengers remind them that Jesus said that the Son of Man Himself must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. We've got to remember that Jesus entered into the darkness and confusion of humanity. He, he didn't remain at a distance. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? He entered into everything that would plague us, everything that would bring us confusion. Jesus marched right into it, and He did it on purpose. And He promised that He would do it. He was in control of His own death. He allowed them to put Him to death. And He was buried from Friday to Sunday so that everyone would know that He was actually dead through that crucifixion. There's no being like almost dead. You know, like the Princess Bride, like He's almost dead. Mostly dead. Now, there's no fainting or swooning here. Uh, this, was, this was his body prepared, tomb sealed. They had touched it. They had seen it. Guards posted. He was really dead. Which is so necessary. Because his death is what paid for our sin. And if he didn't die, then we are still dead in our sin. That's why the last three days were riddled with confusion for these women. Because it was the death that was breaking through their darkness. It was the death that was breaking through our darkness. And just as He promised on the third day, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, He rose. And His resurrection is the indication that everything that He said, everything that He did, everything that He claimed was absolute true he's the son of God he's the son of man he would take his rightful place at the right hand of the father and he is worthy of being followed and so if somebody that you claim to follow dies and then walks out of a grave I think that's going to change your life a little bit, right? Like, I think it can become such a trivial thing for us to say, like, like Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died, He rose from the dead. But, like, sometimes the familiarity of that statement can breed contempt for us. It can be captured in just a few words, but the power of it is beyond explanation. If someone you claim to follow walks out of a grave, it's going to change your life. It's going to change where you go for all of the answers to life. It's going to change how you process the confusion of your life. Listen, if He can defeat the confusion of death, He can defeat the confusion of anything. There's no power that He cannot conquer. There's no situation that His control is not absolute. There is no place where His authority is not ultimate. And as the angels recount these profound promises of Jesus that they had heard but not understood, what the women were all confused about before due to their spiritual blindness, now they remember. Look at verse 8. And they remembered His words. Huh. That must have been a... An awesome moment, right? Like, oh, now I get it. 
Like, have you been ever been confused about what God is doing in your life? Have you ever questioned His plans or gotten frustrated with His ways? Maybe there's something that's confusing you right now. It's a painful experience, a season of waiting, an evil thing that's happened to you, an evil thing that you've seen happen to somebody else. Here's what you need to do in that moment. Remember the promise of the resurrection. Remember the promise of the resurrection. The resurrection is what makes sense of all that is confusing in life. Maybe not in every detail, right? Like we have a need, if we can't figure out every single detail, then we remain in our confusion. Because we are unsatisfied with realizing that there is one who is in control of both life and death. The resurrection is what makes sense of all that is confusing in life. It's what secured every promise of your salvation. But without the resurrection, we have nothing. We are just robots headed to destruction. We're just going to breathe our last and end up dust in the grave without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or worse, we would be in hell. For all of eternity. If, what, if, who God, if God is who He says He is. The resurrection gives us the complete picture of Jesus working through suffering and death to make all things new. See, we serve a Savior who works out His purposes in our lives through suffering. And so you find yourself asking, like, why am I going through this or that trial? Why am I suffering like this? Listen, these disciples, these women, didn't want their master to die. Like, that was not a great experience for any of them, least of all Jesus himself. But Jesus uses suffering to save his people. He suffered fully and finally on their behalf, and then he says that he uses suffering to produce and refine faith in them that is saving them and preparing them for their final salvation. Remember the promise of the resurrection. Set aside some time to look at the bigger picture. If you want some practical ways to do this, look at Romans chapter 8 and just dwell there. Read First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 5, we'll say. It's another great place to go. Many of the Psalms can serve that same purpose for you. Remember, using Scripture as your guide, that suffering exists because sin exists in the world. The world is under a curse. Like If you get that fact right there, you are so far down the road of being able to understand what is confusing in your life, right? Like we, we, we should not expect our lives to be easy. We should not expect that the enemy has given up yet. He's not. But the, the story doesn't even end at the curse. The story ends at the hope of the resurrection. And God sent His Son to redeem us from the curse, to defeat the, even the suffering that comes with death. And one day, He will return and wipe every tear from our eyes, and, and, and He will completely alleviate our confusion. There will be no confusion at that moment. 
And so we can rest now in the hope of the resurrection. If you've turned to Him in faith. You have to turn to Him in faith. That is the heart of faith. Maybe it's not that you're suffering. Maybe you're confused because you're waiting for God to do something that He hasn't done yet. Like that Sabbath day, I'm just, I, I just keep coming back to that idea. that like, it, it was a really long day. <laughs> I'm sure that that was a really long day. Why is God waiting so long to act? What in the world does He think that He is doing? That's you. Remember the resurrection. God is working out a story that is way bigger than your eyes can see. It's a story in which He is the main character and you are privileged to play even a small role. Jesus is doing something bigger that will bring Him maximum glory and will work out way better for you than the thing that you think that you want. Write down 2 Peter 3.9 and check that out later if waiting is more of your struggle. 2 Peter 3.9 The resurrection brings clarity to your confusion as you remember His promises that He secured there. We have great and precious promises that are yes and amen in Jesus because of the resurrection. The second way we experience life changed through His resurrection is this. Uh, the resurrection brings purpose to your relationships. These women just received this incredible gift in finding an empty tomb. They're not confused anymore. They remembered His words. Uh, but their friends, on the other hand are still stuck in their confusion. Verse 9, look there, it calls them the eleven. The eleven. That's just like a little like stick-the-knife-in reminder that there were once twelve, and now there are eleven. One of their own had betrayed Jesus. It says they told the eleven and all the rest. Remember, there are more true followers than just the, the, the eleven, uh, than just the apostles. But yet, at this point, all of them are confused. And, and so these women get to return from the tomb, and, and they told these followers of what they had seen there, that Jesus had risen, of what the angels had, had told them. Uh, these, they, they're telling these ones who had become their good friends over the past few years. And so it's not just like they show up and, and, and they, they make small talk. Like, like, hey guys, how's it going? How's your morning been? Because let me tell you what happened in my morning. It was really cool. Now, they, they're not, there's no small talk here. The, the word that, that is used for told there in, uh, well, let's see, what verse is it? Verse 9? Uh, it's, it's glad tidings. Glad tidings. This is like, I can't contain myself! I can't, you, you will not believe what we just saw. And I just imagine like they're all just chatting it up like at the same time, like they can barely understand what's going on because they're all just so excited about what's going on. It makes me think of that Christmas song, uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, like, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. That's what these women are doing. They're bringing comfort and joy to the confusion of their friends. They're bringing the gift that they had received and they're passing it on. There was no way they were holding this in. 
Let me ask you, what in your life has been so life-changing that you are eager to tell everyone about it? What in your life has been so life-changing that you are eager to tell everyone about it? Uh, For me, one of those things, this is going to sound really silly, one of those things is the grocery store Aldi, right? Anybody relate? The grocery store Aldi is awesome, and you will not come over to my house and uh, it, is, it, it baffles me every time we have somebody over to our house, the conversation somehow gets onto the grocery store Aldi, right? Like, like, like it, it has been awesome for us because like, it's, it's helped us save money. Uh, it, it's, it's easy to shop there because they just only have one thing and you just pull it off. It, they, they have an awesome business model where they pay their employees well. I get excited about this, right? Like, I love telling people about... The grocery store, Aldi, and, and, and it's not even like I try to turn the conversation there. It's not like Aldi's is paying me or something like that. I just love it. It's, it, it's really been a, a great thing in our lives. What is it for you? Because it, it's not likely a grocery store. But I just feel responsible to tell everybody around. And, and it's kind of amazing. Whatever that thing is for you, it can be so easy to talk about a grocery store. It can be so easy to talk about whatever has been life-changing for you, but so difficult to tell everyone about the truly life-changing work of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, which one really has had a greater impact on your life? Or on my life? Which one has the greater potential to change the lives of the people God has placed around you? And along with the gift of of life change comes this specific purpose. Retell the power of the resurrection. Retell the power of the resurrection. You can't let your friends and family wallow in despair and death and confusion when you have the news of new life whether they're believers or unbelievers, whether they claim belief or, 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 and show it or not, you just can't let it go on. This has become a part of you if you truly believe in Christ. Experiencing the life change of the resurrection comes with it a new purpose in your relationships. And a lot of people miss this. A lot of people think that the resurrection is, is a gift that affects what happens after they die. Because Jesus rose again, I get to die and rise again and go to heaven. But then until that point, their life purpose looks the same as if it did if he never rose. Is that you? I do this right now. Ask yourself, how has Jesus and his resurrection reshaped the purpose of my everyday life? How does my life look different because of the resurrection than it would if Jesus had never come and rose again? What's different especially about my relationships and what I emphasize? See, don't expect for Jesus to come walking out of his grave and say, i got authority over Satan, sin, and death, uh, but you can keep on doing your own little thing over there. Just keep playing games and, and, and don't let me interrupt your little shtick. 
You can keep making sure that everybody likes you and thinks really good thoughts about you. You can guard your words about me any time that it would affect your net worth, your income. No big deal happening over here, like with me overcoming death or anything. Like, like just say that you believe, like when you absolutely have to, and then keep on doing everything that you've already done. Like, like just don't worry about anyone else going to heaven. Like, like I'll, I'll see you when you get to heaven. That's all I care about. I'll see you when you get to heaven. You and me. That's not the way it works. None of that sounds like Jesus. If Jesus truly rose again, and there is plenty of eyewitness testimony to suggest that he did, then it truly changes everything. It changes our identity. It changes the way that we view life itself. It changes our purpose. And we have a new primary relationship that changes all other relationships. No longer are your relationships just for your momentary pleasure. So, so here's the thing. No longer is guy time only about discussing your fantasy football stats. Like, I don't care if you discuss your fantasy football stats. Just don't make that the thing. Like, like, like don't, don't see that as your only purpose for being in those relationships. No longer is your girlfriend time just for gathering together to have a few laughs and feel good and to get away from the kids or whatever it is. No longer is your marriage or dating relationship there to make you feel better about yourself, to make you feel like you are, you, you're, you're complete or whatever it is. Uh, no, it's not there to make you satisfied in your sexual desires. It's, that's not the purpose. No longer is your workplace relationships just there so that you can get through the day and bake your paycheck. The resurrection gives the gift of purpose to our whole lives, especially to our relationships. And so is, is the resurrection power of Jesus central to all of your relationships, believing and unbelieving alike? Is it the constant theme of your song and, and, and the thing that you can't help talking about? Like, tell people what's so great about the resurrection power of Jesus in your life. We sang about it this morning. You all sang, most of you sang, I have resurrection power. Freedom. You have given me freedom. Make that personal to you. What, what, what did that actually mean when you sang that? Like, like, I love to tell people about Aldi, but even more, I love to tell people about Jesus. He died at the hands of sinful men for me. He was buried in a grave for me. He rose again and walked out of that grave for me. He gave me new life. And here's how it applied personally to me. He is saving me from being an angry self-centered man who walks through life with dread and despair. And He is changing me and I'm seeing it. I see it so powerfully and so vividly into a hope-filled, awe-inspired follower of Jesus who is eager to make Christ's kingdom known. That's not my work. I don't tell you that because that's my work. That's the work of a risen Savior. 
It's the work of a Savior who changes lives. And I don't want to hold that in. I can't hold that in. And I'm responsible to tell and retell that story again and again. And so are you if it has truly gripped your heart. Has Jesus changed you? I mean, really, like, has He changed you? That's salvation. That's belief. The, the women are, are excited now. They, they know for certain that Jesus is the life changer that they thought He was. Not only could He cast out Mary's, Magdalene's demons, He could fully conquer Satan Himself. Not only could he, he deliver Joanna out of the sinful atmosphere of Herod's household, he could deliver her from the sin that resided in her own heart. Not only was he worthy of the other Mary's uh, physical uh, care and, and, and her wealth, he was worthy of her entire life. See, the resurrection of Jesus changed their lives. And so they bring glad tidings. They, they wanted to encourage their friends. But in the middle of their excitement, uh, probably, uh, again, I, I imagine them talking all at once. Like, I wonder just how much of a letdown this response was. Look at verse 11. Their words seemed to them, that's the apostles, their words seemed to them an idle tale. Wah, wah. Like, were you ever super excited about something, but then when you, like, share that thing, like, kind of like what just happened with all these, like, you all just stared at me, like, <laughs> what in the world is he talking Like, yeah. The other person is just not getting it. By the way, that shows us that, that even though we fulfill our purpose to tell others the good news about Jesus, it doesn't mean it's always going to be well received. And your job is to be faithful to retell, not to control the outcomes. But like, let's celebrate the telling as much as the outcomes, right? Do that in your gospel community. Celebrate the telling even when it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. Because some are going to reject it. Uh, for others, it will just take time. And all of the disciples that these women told about the resurrection thought they were crazy at first. But later came to center their lives around this good news. Luke reminds us that these are the apostles. Like These are the ones who will be sent out and turn the world upside down with the news of the resurrection. These are the ones who would be the source of the rest of the New Testament. Their lives were changed. For some of them it would just take a little bit of time. They would need this final life-changing experience that comes through the resurrection. They would need this to happen. The resurrection brings resolve to your faith. That's the last experience that we want to look at today. The resurrection brings resolve to your faith. Brings clarity to your confusion, purpose to your relationships, and resolve to your faith. The word uh, seemed to them an idle tale. Why? Why? Maybe it was because they were women and they were undervalued in that culture. Notice Jesus does not share that uh, estimation of them. He's actually the one who gives them the opportunity to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. Uh, that's one of the evidences then that this story that we have in our hands is true. 
Because culturally, if, if Luke or the other gospel writers were making this up, like they would not have used women as the first eyewitnesses. That wouldn't have translated very well. Right or wrong, I mean, it's wrong. But that wouldn't have translated very well in their culture. And so, one of the ways that we know that this is true is because the, the women were the, the first ones. And, and, and the disciples are just showing us that cultural reality when they see that it was an idol, when they say that it was an idle tale. Maybe it was even because what the women were saying were just so unbelie- was just so unbelievable. The, the bottom line is they didn't believe them. The word in verse 11 means that they had unfaith. The opposite of faith. They had unbelief. It's not just confusion, it's unbelief. Serious doubts that Jesus would, that Jesus could, rise from the dead. Can you imagine a disciple who's struggling with unbelief? I can. I talk to him all the time. I've seen it in myself before. Listen, don't be surprised when the people around you are struggling with doubts. And you think they were strong believers, but they're just having a hard time. I mean, put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. I want you to think about a loved one who has passed away. A grandmother, a parent. That hurts, right? Now imagine someone comes running up to you saying, They're alive! I just visited their grave. There's just an empty hole there. Two guys in shining clothing told me that they were alive. How would you respond? Don't be surprised when people who appear to be strong believers are struggling with doubts. But don't settle to leave them there. I beg you, don't settle to leave them there. And if that's you, don't settle to stay there yourself. I think sometimes in our culture it's hip to have doubts. I think sometimes we wear doubts like a badge of honor. Like, I just don't know if that's true. And, you know, because our culture doesn't love absolute truth, right? And sometimes it's fashionable and easier to remain unconvinced about what Jesus has done and is doing. Many times the doubts that we have are because we're more comfortable staying in our doubt than coming face to face with the reality of a risen and reigning Lord who is in control of our situation. But if your faith is weak or non-existent like the apostles listening to these women, uh, you need to do what Peter did. You, You need to run to see the evidence of the resurrection. It's the third application. Run to see the evidence of the resurrection. Look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Is your faith faltering? Are you lacking confidence in your convictions? Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus wants to change your life, that He can change your life. 
Like, like maybe he's not going to remove all the hard or confusing circumstances, but he wants to produce faith in you and give you clarity about those things and give you a new purpose. Like, do you find that hard to believe sometimes? Maybe that's why you aren't telling others about the gospel power of Jesus because, because you're not sure if you're convinced of it in your own life anymore. If that's you, run. Don't walk, run to the empty tomb. Get after it today. Uh, Peter ran, he stooped down, he looked in, and he saw the place where Christ's body lay. He saw the linen claws lying there. Those linen claws were a signal to him that this was no robber that stole the body. This was no disciple who had come along to play a joke or to, to, to pull one over on anybody. Nobody would have left the linen claws behind. There's no reason to do that. It would have just wasted time. Those linen claws were the evidence to Peter that Jesus had really risen from the dead. And Peter knew that this was real. The text says that he went home marveling at what had happened. He knew that what he had confessed earlier in his life was true. That this was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the One deserving of all of His devotion. And he knew it so deep in his bones that it changed his entire life. And there would still need to be a moment where he would need to be restored from his guilt, from denying Jesus, right? But I believe that this is the moment where the wonder of Christ's resurrection changed his life. He would go from denying Jesus to dying for Jesus. He would go from being an uneducated fisherman to being one who spoke boldly in the temple courts and refuted the religious leaders. That right there is evidence for us to believe that Peter really saw the evidence of Christ's resurrection. You don't die for a story you made up. But you will die for a resurrected Savior. And if you find your faith lacking resolve, you need to make that run from the upper room to the empty tomb today. Run to the evidence Pick up a book like Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I think there's a copy back in our uh, library, second door on the left, down the hall. Like, run there. Like, beat everybody else there. Run if if that's what you need. Talk to a believing friend and, and ask them to remind you of why we believe what we believe. Like, do that today. Run. Run. Don't wait till Thursday because by Thursday you'll have forgotten this message. Read the resurrection accounts and the book of Acts. Do it this afternoon if you have to. Whatever you do, don't be satisfied with a half-hearted, stagnant faith. Stagnant faith. Don't be settled to have pockets of unbelief and doubt in your life. Like, I understand why those things could be there. I understand that life is hard and confusing and God doesn't give us all the answers. Like, I get that. But He wants you to have confidence. He wants you to have strong faith. The empty tomb is a place that you need to run to to visit every day, figuratively speaking. You need to spend 
time every day remembering that Jesus is no longer in the grave, that he's conquered Satan, sin, and death, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he has given you a living hope. And he calls you in the power of the Spirit to walk by faith in him. He calls you to worship him. He calls you to devote your life to him. He calls you to have new purpose in your life and in your relationships. And so let me ask you, have you experienced the life change that comes through the resurrection? Man, I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you pray to prayer. I'm, I'm not asking if you were baptized. I'm asking, have you experienced the life change that comes through faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is your life really different because this is true? The worship team is going to come and I want you to spend some time reflecting on that question. Before the Lord, Go to Him in a spirit of prayer right now. The gift of the resurrection is truly life-changing. It's, it's more, than, more life-changing than any gift that you're going to receive this Christmas. And so have you experienced clarity for your confusion. Maybe you're still confused about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're dealing with that confusion this morning. And and listen, I'm not promising all the answers and all the details. That's not what we're talking about here. But God does want you to see that He is working out His plan of salvation in your life. And He wants to turn your heart to trust and center on Jesus Christ. And so this week, if that's you, make the commitment. Talk about that confusion with someone who can remind you of the Gospel truths again. Maybe write that commitment down in your notes. Have you experienced your new purpose for your relationship? You and I relate to people every day who are lost and confused without hope in their situations and in their sin. We pass people who who Jesus deserves their worship and He's not receiving it. He rose from the dead. He deserves their praise. So tell them how He changed you. Use it as an opportunity to worship Jesus yourself. Receive this responsibility and then this. Have you experienced a new resolve for your faith? Are you more in awe of Jesus today? By going to Luke and seeing the empty tomb? How can you carry that all with you through the rest of this week? me pray. Father, you sent Jesus to die for us. 
to conquer the grave for us. We say it so often. Jesus rose from the dead and we just confess that that can become a trivial thing to us. But Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts again the wonder and awe of that moment in history and the effects that it has in our lives. I pray that we would go from this place a changed people who cannot help but tell of the glories of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would set us on a new purpose and change our hearts because of the faith that you have produced in us today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.